This session is from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. For more information, please visit shepherds360.org. Okay, guys, if I could have your attention, we're going to try to get started with the limited time we have. Um, I've just noticed that the notes I sent over don't look like the notes in your uh, folder. So we need to get with Dr. Burkhoff or the staff to see if they can give you some upgraded notes for this particular section. But uh, I do apologize for that. But unfortunately, it's not on me, but I have to take the rap because it's mine. But um, yes. Ah, can you say that again for everybody? So if you scan right here, there is a button to press the handouts, and you should be able to find. Hopefully. Those are the ones that that we have to redo. So forget that one at all. But we'll figure it out by the end of this time. So what I'd like to do, because our time is limited, and man, I wanted to have time for question and answer but it doesn't look like I will have the opportunity to do that. So what I'll do is if someone has questions after, I'll try to stick around a little bit to answer some of your questions. But let's begin with a word of prayer, and I want to walk through uh, some of the challenges that we see. And by the way, before I begin, my name is Nicholas Allen. I'm a college professor at the College of Biblical Studies in Houston. I teach at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I teach at Bob Jones. Seminary and also teach a Central Baptist Theological Seminary and I pastor a church. Husband of one wife, four grandchildren, one wife. Amen. So we got all those things out of the way, but let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you. You are gracious. You are kind. You've given us everything we need for life, for godliness. Lord, as we seek to understand your will and your way in these matters, we ask for wisdom. We ask for your discernment so that we could be on one accord with you one accord with each other to stand firm against the evil one as he seeks to kill, to steal, and destroy. Thank you for this opportunity to hear from you in your insight. Help us, Lord, and we'll be careful to give you the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the biggest Trojan horses that we will discover in the Christian community right now is this concept of mental illness. And the words themselves can be somewhat disconcerting. And what I'd like to do is to try to give you a biblical perspective to consider because the argument for mental illness boils down to presuppositional thinking about the nature of man. And so where the culture has a different idea of the nature of man, so they will give you a different understanding of quote-unquote mental illness, how to handle it, and what to do with it. So I want us to make those distinctions, but in reality, you're going to discover wherever you stand in the fight, it really boils down to, do you believe that the body can cause a person to have sinful or bad behavior? And the scripture is very clear that the body does not defile the man, but what defiles the man is what comes out of his heart and material. That is the basic argument when you think about mental illness. Because you have a culture with the presuppositional thinking that man is only body and brain. So if man is only body and brain, every time you see behavior, behavior must come from the physiological brain, not the immaterial heart of man. Where that argument fits, they see things, we see things. They have a different interpretation. We have a different interpretation. It's kind of like if you would, if you turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 for just a moment. 
Proverbs 3.5 gives us the picture of what we're dealing with. When he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean at conjunction. Remember conjunction, junction. What's your function? Hooking up. Where? Okay, anyway, I digress. But again, lean not on your own understanding. To lean on your own understanding is a human observation without a biblical interpretation. What the culture provides is wonderful observations, but because of their misunderstanding of anthropology, they give us these human interpretations. So we could both be looking at a problem in a person and see the problem and have the same observations, but the solutions and the assessment of what needs to be done are different because of the presuppositional thinking. If man is only body and brain, then it makes sense to medicate him to death and to help build his self-esteem. But if man is more than body and brain, then that means that the problems of man are not subjected to the physiological. There's an immaterial aspect that determines his choices to do good or to do evil. If we get to that premise, and if we argue through that, we'll understand why what I'm about to share with you is such a challenge for so many people in the Christian arena. Now, in your notes, and we'll try to get this fixed, there are two competing worldviews in mental illness. And by the way, even the word mental illness, the culture is starting to stray away from that and start to talk about mental disorders. And even in talking about mental disorders, you'll discover they still haven't proven that there's anything physiologically wrong with the person. And what I'm suggesting and challenging is they'll never find anything wrong with the person physiologically to prove their premise because it's a spiritual issue, not a physical one. We would not reject mental disorders. We reject the assessment of how one is to treat them. We would not reject as Christians that people have mental disorders. What we reject is it's not really a mental disorder. It's a spiritual issue. And God's word is sufficient and can address it. But before we get to any of those premises, let's walk through some practical things that I want you to see. Now, with this in mind, and boy, my eyes are young but old, vice versa, uh, secular humanists, mental illness, here's what they believe. And we both believe this from a biblical view and a non-biblical view, believe that the fixed false beliefs are the issues. Okay? Secular humanists believe that. Christians believe that, that the ultimate issue with human or mental illness is fixed false beliefs. But secondly, notice the distinction here. When it comes to secular humanists, they believe that mental illness are constructs and created and theorized through a medical model. So they're holding to this idea that mental disorders are physiological problems. We would argue and debate that no, they're not physical problems, but we can evaluate those things that you've given descriptions to from a biblical grid. We won't find the word schizophrenia in the Bible, but we see schizophrenia in the Bible. By the way, we don't find the word Bible in the Bible, do we? So again, our argument, and many with those weak arguments, well, you don't find bipolar in the Bible. You don't find the words, but the characteristics are there. When people break down conversion disorder, all those things, give me the defining features, and those defining features we see in Scripture, and we'll discover that those defining features have two things. It's either a heart issue or something physiological that's happening as a result of a heart issue. And the more we make those distinctions, we're not battling against mental illness. We're battling against the world's view and seeking to give a biblical assessment with the sufficiency of Scripture as a solution. Now, consider this. They also believe that mental illness originates from the physical brain. We believe that mental illness originates from the spiritual mind. There is a distinction between the physiological brain and the immaterial mind of man. But how do we know that? 
Because the Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us what defiles the man is not what comes out of his body, hence brain, body, but what comes out of his what? Heart, immaterial heart, and it begins to show you all these behaviors and mindsets and attitudes that come from the heart, which, by the way, if you study any mental disorder, those same things are in those mental disorders which show you these are issues of the heart. They would consider in the secular humanist illness as a physical sickness of the body, we would consider it a sickness of the soul. They would seek to manage the illness by medication and talk therapy, but us as biblical counselors, us in the biblical arena, we believe it can be handled and have seen it handled by faith in the person and work of Christ, application of the word. Now, here's what I want to get to. I want to read some of these things. I want you to see what they're saying. And what I've discovered is I teach this in my courses and people are very passionate about mental disorders. I show them things like this and say, this isn't Christian saying this. These are unbelievers saying these things I'm about to read to you. And I want you just to process it with me some of these things. Now, I want to give you the background and the point, and then I want you to read what they're saying. A commitment, and here's what we're getting to. This is my whole argument for today, to think about mental illness. A commitment to deducing all of life to a physical reality leads to evaluating spiritual problems through the grid of a physical construct. This results in biological psychiatrists and psychologists holding to a theory that mental illness must come from a biological origin. Let, let me see if I can put it to you this way. If all you have is a hammer, you believe every problem is to be fixed with a hammer. Okay? The Bible shows us that problems are physical and immaterial. Now, the culture believes that all problems are physical, and again, if you can't see it, it's not true. So therefore, when they look at the nature of man or the body or the problems of man, it's always deduced down to the physical body and the physical brain. Therefore, we will see the same things in different individuals but our solutions and our assessments will be different based upon the commitment to where we stand with understanding the nature of man. Let, let me read something to you based upon the idea that comes from the secular humanist model. Listen to these words. This is fascinating. Our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key to an understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural. We take the side of science in spite of the past or patent absurd absurdities of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community of the unsubstantiated just-so stories because we have a priori, that should say, commitment to materialism. Now listen to this. It is not that the methods of and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world. But on the contrary, we are focused by our priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the what? Uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is absolute for we cannot allow, and this is where the saying, a divine foot in the door. Can I tell you what all that goobly goop just says? For those that are saying, what did he just say? We're committed to saying man is only body and brain. So therefore, any problems that exist, we're going to see this. Even as absurd as it sounds, whatever's wrong with man, it can't be anything other than physical because of our commitment to seeing people and people and the world as only physical in nature. That's what they're saying. Now, listen to these words. I, and I put all these out here because I wanted you to think about this. 
diagnosing, and this is again, when you're committed to the man only being physiological, listen what happens. Diagnosing mental illness isn't like diagnosing other chronic diseases. Heart disease is identified with the help of blood tests and echocardiograms. Diabetics are diagnosed by measuring blood glucose levels. But classifying mental illness is a more subjective endeavor. No blood test exists for depression. I wonder why. No x-ray can identify a child at risk of developing bipolar disorder, at least not yet. Thanks to new tools in genetics and neuroimaging, scientists are making progress towards deciphering details of the underlying biology of mental disorders, yet experts disagree on how far we can push this biological model. Are mental illness simply physical diseases that happen to strike the brain, or do these disorders belong to a class all on their own? I'm going to stop there, and I want to go to the second one. However, and this is what they've understood, and this is why I want you to go back and do your research on. However, researchers have not yet been able to find biological mar uh, markers or pathologies, if you will, to affirm their position that mental illness comes from the biological origin. All of these years of mental disorders, mental illness, you talk to anyone serious about it, and here's what they'll tell you. We've yet to find a physical cause. There's no blood test. There's no blood test for bipolar, ADHD. We can't do an x-ray. We don't have any physiological origin to trace this back to. And can I tell you why? Because it's not physiological. It's an immaterial issue. It's a spiritual matter. We're not debating if they exist. We're debating the origin and again, if you have the wrong view of man, you have the wrong assessment, you have the wrong solutions. Now, watch this. I want you to see this. Listen to what they say about the DSM. Now, by the way, DSM, Diagnostic Statistical Manual, it is the psychologist's Bible. You go in and say, oh, I've got a twick in my head and I always feel upset about certain things. They rip that and go, okay, you have conversion disorder. Doctors use it. It is the manual that they use to classify you as a mental issue person. Everybody with me so far? Here's what they say. Not, not Christians. They say the DSM system is, is the DSM system an improvement over previous editions? The answer has to be yes and no. One would like to believe so, but there are reasons for doubt. Some problems derive from the concept that psychopathology lies on a continuum with normality, making it difficult to separate mental disorders from normal variations, leading to a danger of overdiagnosis. Other issues derived from a strong attachment. Watch this. Strong attachment. Not fact. You get that? Attachment. Strong attachment to, what's that word there, guys? Huh. That mental disorders or brain disorders. Even though knowledge is insufficient to develop a classification based on neuroscience. Although progress has been made in the research on the brain, the origins of mental illness remain a mystery to those who reject a biblical anthropology. I added that on there. <laughs> it's not a mystery to us because the problem is not physiological. It's issues of the heart and the word of God is sufficient. Now, let me show you another thing on that. For despite the fact that contemporary psychiatry seeks to promulgate a notion of madness, mental illness, as an external manifestation of badly wired brain, the consequence of faulty biochemistry or an excess deficiency of certain neurotransmitters, 
The process of drawing boundaries around the mad, mentally ill, remains an uncertain contested activity. The site of reoccurring controversy that only occasionally has analogies in other branches of medicine. No x-rays, no PET scans, no laboratory tests exist that unambiguously pronounce that one is sane or that one is mad. Now I want to skip to one that I really like. Since researchers have yet to find any biological markers or pathologies to affirm their position, they must rely on non-biological factors such as people's descriptions of their problems to seek to discern the matters at hand. As a result, if you will, let me go backwards, sorry about that. As a result, they have to admit that what they have dogmatically explained as a disease are merely created constructs, not proven diseases, originating from the physical cause. Can I tell you what they're doing? They're looking at people the way we're looking at people. They have no medicine, they have no scientific proof, and they, according to their philosophical understanding of the nature of man, is saying that person's bipolar, that person's schizophrenia, that person is this, but they're doing what we do. They're observing man, and based upon the conclusions of what they see, they come to this idea, but there's no science to that. That's observation. Does anyone disagree with that? That's just observation. If I sit in a room with you, because let me show you how this works. You come to my office as a doctor, and you tell me, well, you know, I've been feeling and having some headaches, and, you know, my, my nose, I've been feeling some draining, and I just feel a lot of pressure. He goes, oh, that sounds like you need brain surgery. <laughs> what will be your next question? <laughs> show me the Carfax, right? <laughs> show me some scans. Show me some blood work. Show me something that can prove that your assessment of me is accurate. You don't find that. What about in the, the world of mental illness? I'd love to ask questions, but I got to keep moving. Go. We'll catch up. But I, I know where you're going. But we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Lithium levels. Yeah, all of that's still the same. It's a physiological issue, but it doesn't determine the heart attitudes. I always remember, those things are real but they don't determine your attitude to sin or not to sin. And that's where the world holds the brain responsible for what God holds the heart responsible. Therein lies the argument every single time. We'll get, we'll get back to that, though. But as everybody is understanding here, the problem is how can you say that this is a person's assessment when it's only an assessment based on observation and your interpretation to where then you prescribe medicine? which is dangerous. Consider these words. I want you to listen to this. Watch this. Without clear biological markers, researchers and clinicians must rely on interviews to assess the occurrence and severity of mental disorders. Interview questions follow criteria from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 1,000-page volume covering the gamut of human effect and behavior from the mood and personality to sexual and addiction. Researchers have arrived at the syndromes, arrived at the syndromes listed in the DSM by tracking symptoms and symptom clusters with particular attention to duration, age on onset, family prevalence, gender distribution, and response to treatment. That doesn't sound scientific. That doesn't sound like there are physiological tests because there aren't any. Consider these words. Now the revised, and this is old, the revised fourth edition DSM has provided the field with a common language for identifying and discussing the enormous range of mental 
health problems, yet it remains more approximate description than a verifiable picture of reality. This is the DSM. This is what many Christians are leaning on as factual above the sufficiency of Scripture. Listen to this. Our classification of mental disorders is no more than a collection of fallible and limited constructs that seeks but never finds, what does it say there? But this remains our best current way of communicating about treating and researching mental disorders. It is good to know and use the DSM definitions, but look at these words. This is not someone of a Christian saying this, but not to reify worship them. These are approximations, descriptions, not based on science, but observation. My point is, we as Christians are not rejecting mental disorder, a mental illness. We're rejecting the origin and the solutions because it's not physiological in nature. The behaviors that are prescribed under those areas are issues that we find in Scripture that can be addressed through the sufficiency of Scripture. Where there are biological problems, we do not reject us using medication because, again, there are two sources of pain. There's physiological pain. There's immaterial pain. David said, when I kept quiet about my sin, my body wasted away. How many times have when you gotten angry, you got a headache? But what do we do for the headache? We use all the best medicine possible for the headache. But what do you do with the heart? It needs to be addressed by the Messiah. The moment we understand that we're not against we're just trying to have an accurate understanding of it changes as saints how we deal with mental disorders. Now, some will try to debate that they don't exist. That's not my issue. They exist. They've just been given a different name. And again, I don't see schizophrenia in the Bible, but if we sat down and studied Nebuchadnezzar, we'd understand what schizophrenia looks like. Is that true or false? Okay. I may not see the word depression, but we see it through the scripture. And we see how God addresses those things clearly. So the problem is not the issue of does it exist. It's the issue of interpretation. It's the issue of having a presuppositional thinking about it that says man is either just body and brain or man is material and immaterial. Does the Bible have something to say about these matters? Consider this, if you would. Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, a widely profitable taxonomy of illness that costs $189 projects an air of medical authority by defining disorders with a list of criteria. Mm -hmm. The problem with these disorders, Greenberg argues, is that they treat the mind like the body. He gets it. He gets it because they're not the same. Trying to make their profession look like any other branch of medicine, psychiatrists treat undefinable mental states like anxiety as if they were scarlet fever. Can I tell you what he just said? They're trying to treat spiritual matters like physical matters. Mm -hmm. And you can't treat physical matters and spiritual matters the same because they're not the same. They require different insights from different fields. Consider this. Greenberg is a psychotherapist as well as widely published journalist and author, and he believes psychiatrists must make clear to patients that such disorders are not diseases but provisional categories. This, he predicts, will mean fewer patients, more modern claims about what psychiatry treats, less clout, 
with the insurers and reduced authority to turn our troubles into medical problems by simply adding the word disorder to their description. My brothers and sisters, these are unbelievers saying these things. And I purposely did that because I wanted you to see that the culture is starting to understand in a very practical way the way we have hijacked mental illness and mental disorders and made it something that it's really not makes it a spectacle and is putting people on medication in ways that are unnecessary. I always tell people medicine is a wonderful support. It's just a terrible solution. You guess that? It's a wonderful support. Terrible solution. Now, let me make that plain. Because most people, when they hear me say that, they have deduced mental disorders to physical issues. And so then they'll go to the extreme and say, so are you saying that we should never use medication? Are you saying that medication is bad? No, I never said medication is bad. I'm saying it has its proper place. When you try to medicate what belongs to the Messiah, you've gone too far. But if you can't distinguish what belongs to the Messiah, in other words, what I'm saying is if you don't distinguish between immaterial and physical problems and you deduce everything to physical, then of course the natural conclusion is that you need medicine. Can I answer that? No, message. <laughs> but that means your anthropology has to be evaluated. And our whole argument here, as we try to pull this together, there are many things that people are deducing to physiological that the scripture shows is immaterial. And again, the world blames the body for what God holds the heart responsible. That is the biggest argument over the issue of mental illness. Let me say that again. The world holds the body for what God blames or holds the heart as responsible. In other words, the world is saying where God says this is a heart issue, the world is saying this is a physiological issue. Well, the world is calling it sickness. God has called it sin. And the reality is when you treat sin as sickness, you never get the solution that God intended. This isn't beating people over the head. This is giving people hope. But again, the argument boils down to material versus immaterial, presuppositional thinking about the nature of man. And so people say, and I had people come to me and say, look at this brain, and look at this brain on depression. Look at this brain not on depression. You see the differences? I said, what you're trying to convince me of that you'll never be able to do biblically is that this is the cause, not the result. See, our argument is not that can someone who's depressed have brain issues. It's not our argument. Our argument is the brain issues can't cause someone to sin. The brain issues can't cause bad behavior. It is a cause and effect. David said, what I kept quiet about my sin, my body wasted away. Where there are physiological problems, we need the best that the world has to offer in medication. But we cannot confuse physical within material or we'll give people the worst because we'll give them what belongs to the Messiah. And therein lies the challenge with this whole concept of mental disorders. Are you tracking with me so far? Am I making, I'm trying to repeat it over and over again just so you can get the idea. Now, let me skip through some of this as my time is getting away. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's look at number four. As these researchers and practitioners rely on created constructs, not proven diseases, they are operating by a theory model that is not proven yet to be a fact. Listen to what they say. It may surprise you to learn that there is no convincing evidence that most mental patients have any chemical imbalance. Yet many physicians tell their patients that they are suffering from a chemical imbalance despite the reality that there are no tests available for assessing the chemical status of a living person's brain. 
While there are some reports finding evidence of an excess of deficiency in the activity of a particular neurotransmitter system in the brains of deceased mental patients, these claims are controversial as other investigators cannot find any such relationship. Watch this. The biomedical model posits that mental disorders are brain diseases and emphasizes pharmacological treatment to target presumed biological abnormalities. A biologically focused approach to science, policy, and practice has dominated the American healthcare system for more than three decades. During this time, the use of psychiatric medications has sharply increased and mental disorders have become commonly regarded as brain diseases caused by chemical imbalances that are corrected with this disease-specific drugs. However, despite widespread, what's the next word there? Because it's exactly what it is. Faith in the potential of neuroscience to revolutionize mental health practice. The biomedical model era has been characterized by a broad lack of clinical innovation and poor mental health outcomes. Now, you can see that on your own without even reading that. Again, secular humanists telling us this reality. I love this one. Model psychotherapy or psychiatry has yet to convincingly prove the genetic biological cause of any single mental illness. Patients have been diagnosed with chemical imbalances despite the fact no tests exist to support such a claim. And there is no real conception of what a correct balance would look like. Yet conclusions such as depression is a biochemical imbalance are created out of nothing more than semantics and the wishful thinking of scientists, psychiatrists, and a public that will believe anything now that it has the stamp of approval of medical science. I wish I could make this up. <coughs> what point am I making to you, ladies and gentlemen? We must stick to our understanding of the nature of man according to scripture. We're not rejecting science when it's science. But the moment you try to tell me that my bad behavior <coughs> that the scripture says comes from my heart is because something happening in my brain or body and that I can't get right until I get this medicine. You are overriding the reality of transformation that comes through the power of Christ and elevating the power of medication. And you're equating medication with the power of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance, self-control, unless I'm bipolar. No. The food of the spirit is love, joy, peace, etc., etc. Unless I'm depressed, I can have broken bones and still have the peace of God. I can have a heart condition and still have the peace of God. Amen. You got what I'm saying? When it's truly physiological, it doesn't interfere with the peace of God. But when you think about these quote-unquote mental illnesses, these people lack the peace of God not because of something physiological, but because of something immaterial. Now, what point am I trying to make? If something's purely physical, we need the best that medicine has to offer, but that will not impact their lack of peace therein, because the world can't give you peace, so therefore the world can't take it away. You say, but what if I'm having <clears throat> a hard time and things are difficult? Life is difficult, yes, you can have hard times, but your lack of peace is not biologically based. Or we have to reevaluate scripture. Think about that. When people bring the arguments of medication to me, I say, I'm not against medication. 
I'm against you trying to medicalize what belongs to the Messiah. For these verses don't work. Because anytime you add, except you have, you know, let me make it plain. Um, my wife will let me get away with this one. Um, again, um, hormonal irregularities. Ladies, you name any one of them. There's a struggle. But does that determine your ability to have self-control? Does that determine your ability to walk in the spirit? Does that determine your ability, as the Bible says, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, unless one has a chemical imbalance? See, the moment you stay biblical and challenge these evaluations, you start to see, at the end of the day, where it is physiological. Let's bring all of what the culture has, but where it's immaterial, let's keep it where it belongs with the Messiah. Your job, your discernment, testing those things, is to discern between what's spiritual, what's physical. Thereby, you can have the right assessment with the right analogies and the right applications, if you will. Now, with that in mind, my time is getting away. Uh, let me do number five. Consequently, the theory of mental illness being biologically caused has proven to be mere speculation. Listen to these words. Our best-selling Psychopharmacology pharmacology textbook consists of pure speculations presented as pretty pictures with color-coded synapses, key-like receptors and chemicals, which we mistake for science. We have a huge amount of neurobiology research now to conclude that 20th century neurotransmitter theories of psychopharmacology basically are false. The dopamine and momanine hypothesis of schizophrenia and depression are wrong. And thus, using our drug classes to increase or decrease neurotransmitters is wrong-headed. In one generation, the APA, in collusion with the drug companies, have destroyed psychiatry. The American public has been sold a bill of goods People actually believe that the human struggle is a brain disease. It is now taken as fact that there is a chemical imbalance in the brain and that psychoactive drugs is just what the doctor ordered. We can now cure biological depression with antidepressants, biological anxiety with benzopenine. I can never get that word right. Fictitious ADHD with all the things, amphetamines, insomnia with benzodiazepine, and other bizarre psychoactive, or psychoactive drugs. Likewise, the belief is that schizophrenia and manic depression should be treated with drugs. However, drugs are not the treatment. The issues are not brain or some brain thing, but human issues. People with schizophrenia and manic depression are no different from you and me. The real source of human suffering is not or even has been the brain. The issues are in the person, the human being, and the context of damage to the play of consciousness created by deprivation and abuse and the formation of our character. Now, let me tell you what all that goobly goop means. The real problem is a character deficiency, not a physiological one. And what the world claims is biological, the scripture shows, is immaterial. Now, I'm going to stop there. We've got about six minutes or so. It's so much more I want to cover. I knew I'd never get through everything. <laughs> but I wanted to open the floor for just that. 
I think my brother here first had something. Notes in PowerPoint, they do show up fine. Oh, okay. PowerPoint, they show up fine, we were told. The handout is updated. Well, just real quick. I, I, I've here and then I'll come to you. say lithium levels they measure. But then I also wanted to add, I mean, how are you figuring in autism? Because as a pastor, I'm just inundated with the number of autistic kids in my church now. Think of autism in a simple place. If there's something physiological, it won't be an issue of morality. Where if there's truly something brain functioning issue, then we need to figure out what we can do at the best level. Is there evidence for autism? There is none that I've known that yet they can prove that. But what I hold open to is if it's possible, because I'm not blaming or saying that all autism is issues of the heart. There could be some physiological things. They haven't found them yet. Haven't found. However, where there is bad behavior in autism, that's not an issue of the brain. Bad behavior is what the Bible says. Foolishness is bound up in the H-E-R-T. And then it says they need a B-E-A-T-I-N-G, but I won't go there. <laughs> what we cannot do is put it in a situation where, and I've seen people do this, this person is autistic, therefore their bad behavior is acceptable. No, you can't blame the physiological. Their bad behavior is an issue of the heart. How we address that may be a little different, but we still have to address it differently. And therein lies the challenge, if that makes sense. Yes, sir. Same question. Same question. Yes, sir. Um, suppose if someone uh, grows to become dependent on medication, can that be taken away? I think every anyone on medication, you should never, and as I speak, not as a doctor, but someone that works with doctors, you should never tell anybody to get off medication. It becomes a step-down method, and they should talk to their doctors about that. What I do in those situations is that I never, the conversations I'm having with you, I don't have with individuals when I'm counseling them. I just deal with their heart issues. And then they want to get off the medication as they discover we're dealing with the root and the real issue, not the things you were told. Because the trick of the evil one is to have a debate with someone you're trying to help and then they walk away versus helping them the way you said you could. Does that make sense? So someone will come and say, I'm on this medication. Okay, well, let's come and talk about the issue. That you're struggling. Well, did you hear me? I'm on this Medicaid. I heard you. But let's talk about the issue you came for. And that way I can deal with their issue without getting into the debate, which could again get them sidetracked and miss the service that God would have for them. Does that, that answer your question? Because you're asking me, should they get off, should I tell them to get should off medication? To get off the medication? I would say to them, how do you feel on this? Do you think there should be a change? And if so, would you talk to your doctor about that? Because again, I get out of my lane if I tell them to get off or to get on. Does that make sense? Because I'm wondering if some medication is addictive. <laughs> that is, once they start taking it, they may become addicted to it. Oh, I'm Maybe sure. It's designed that way. I'm sure. The, quest the problem is, as their pastor or someone in counseling, I can't say to them, get off or get on, because that's out of my lane. I can say, if you're feeling uncomfortable, Maybe you should make some adjustments. Why don't you go talk to your doctor about maybe some possibilities? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because if I say it, then there's lawsuits, there's a whole lot of other stuff going on, and I'm out of my lane. Does that, does that make sense? <laughs> yes, sir. I'm sorry. You, sir. I'm sorry. You, sir, then you, sir. What is your best advice for the healthcare provider, Christian healthcare provider, dealing with those kind of issues? As much as they can, I would say to them, try to address the heart of the person. Try to, as much as you can, help them to see how this pain that they're feeling, the issues they're going through, is not because of something physiological, but because of something immaterial. At the level that they can use that door to do that. 
As a matter of fact, if I had a moment, I'm going to try to jump to that. It's, I have the answer to that here. We just didn't have the time to get there. But let me see if I could pull it up somewhere. And yes, sir, I think you had, you had a question as I'm looking at it. I don't want to miss any question. The Put it autism question, okay. would you recommend a parent get their child diagnosed if they think they have autism? I don't necessarily recommend it if they feel like it's necessary. Again, it's not anything wrong with it. I would just say make sure that they don't tell you anything that will contradict what you know biblically to do with your child. That's always my argument. Where the culture tries to tell you something different about behavior than the Bible does, trust the Bible, not the culture. Where they are neutral, again, if I get hit in the back of my head with a bat, there's going to be some slow processes going on. Uh, there's some things I'm not going to cognitively be able to understand at the level I used to. Well, that is, again, science, and we need the best that medication offers. If I become nasty, cranky, or angry and try to blame it on that, the scripture says these issues are already in my heart. So when I try to blame bad behavior on that which belongs, again, to the heart, to blame it on the brain and the body, I'm out of order with the Bible. Does that make sense? If we stay in that lane, we can coexist with the scientific world. The problem is they keep getting in our lane. And we have to challenge it and say, wait a minute, this is an issue of the heart, not an issue of the body. The scripture is very clear about what we need to do. Yes, so, sir. So I guess you're saying that the mental illness doesn't create what's inside but squeezes out what's already there in a sense, spiritually? Is that what you would You argue? could say that. You okay. could say what's in you comes out. We blame six things. We blame people, we blame the past, we blame our parents, we blame the pressures, we blame the pains and the problems of life. We say, this is the reason why I do what I do or don't do what I do, okay? You don't understand about these people in my life. You don't understand about my past. You don't understand about my parents. You don't know the pressures of mother. You don't know the pain I feel. You don't know the problems I have. Scripture tells us, be not deceived. God is not mocked whatever man, not whatever happened to him according to those six Ps. And then it talks about man's condition. You act out of the condition of your heart, not the external pressures in the culture. So you can't blame people for your bad behavior. People are the context in which your heart is on display. The moment I excuse anything because of something external, then I can't confess anything and find true transformation of the soul. And therein lies the challenge. That makes sense. Does that, that answer your question? Yeah. Yes, sir. I know this is a big uh, topic that... I don't know if we have time to get into. We probably don't, but go ahead. Uh, <laughs> so, can you put homosexuality under this uh, mental illness category? I know it's typically not done in the world, but... Well, they did. They took it out. Yeah. yeah. They so did. Could, Before so the DSM-4, they took it out. Is it the same thing? Have they not found any biological markers for homosexuality as well? Or Because I've heard something. It was always wishy-washy. I, I am not sure. I've heard people saying that they have found things. But is it the same thing with the homosexuality they haven't found anything? And they won't because homosexuality is not a physiological issue. And Scripture says, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were transformed. Again, and this is what I never do. I never try to highlight that the way the world would want us to. It's no different than a whoremonger, a drunkard, or anything else. And when you do that, you don't give it the attention that the world loves to give it. Does that make sense? I'm sorry, I missed you and I'll come back to you. Yes, sir. I just want to support your, your positions with an example for a moment, if I could. I spent about 13 years in a Department of Corrections, and the vast, vast majority of the offenders on my caseload 
have some kind of mental health diagnosis that they either uh, use to justify their criminal behavior or that they have been unsuccessfully treated for. Um, and, and it's almost vanity to try and medicate away a sinful heart. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes, ma'am. I'm still trying to find that one thing to try to go with. Go. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Uh, on the flip side, in an odd way, how do you counsel somebody who has a purely physical issue that refuses to take medication that would be biologically, physiologically necessary? Suffer well. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you do it. <laughs> See, you can't make anybody do anything they don't want to do. And that is one of the most frustrating things for many people in counseling. They believe that we have some magical bullet that's going to make people listen. You don't. I always say to Christians, and I understand this for Christians, but unbelievers, it's a whole other reason. But for Christians, there's only three reasons why a Christian is not obeying God. But before I tell you those three reasons, biblically understand the same power that raised Christ from the dead is within us. Is that true or false? Yes. The moment we put our faith in the personal work of Jesus Christ, where well, we're not sealed with the Spirit of God, according to Ephesians. It's not Philippians that tells us that we're to work out, not work for, but work out our salvation because God is at work within us. So that means that we can't obey what God tells us. There's only three reasons why a Christian is not obeying God. Lack of knowledge. I just didn't know. Lack of skill. I just didn't know how. Or lack of will. I just won't. In my 30 years of shepherding, I stopped dealing with number three and just moved to church discipline. I give you everything for lack of knowledge, lack of skill. Lack of will, I don't have a lot of time for anymore because what you're telling me is you know what to do, you know how to do it, you just won't do it. That's above my pay grade. That's a Hebrews 12 moment now. He whom the Lord loves, he chastens. I can't touch that. So I don't spend a lot of time with stubborn Christians because what's happening is they need to learn to make confessions instead of excuses. Because we have the power to change. Now, lack of knowledge, lack of skill, I'm giving money, time, resources, life. I'm giving everything I can as a shepherd for lack of knowledge, lack of skill. Lack of will, I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to go home and watch the game, get a good meal. <laughs> Wait for God to break you and then come help you clean up the mess because I'm responsible to help you clean up the mess. I love you. But we can't make anybody listen to us. Now, unbelievers, is clear. They don't belong to Christ. They're rebellious. It's not until God gives their heart that they'll even listen. So once we understand those two realities, it can change so much in, in just the counseling world of trying to make people listen to us. No one wants to listen to you till they want to listen to you. Is that true or false? And what I tell my people under my responsibility, I said, listen, God has given me the privilege to keep watch over your soul. But here's one thing you have to understand. My leadership is not for me. It's for you. So let me explain what I mean by that. What will change in my life today if you guys listen to me? What will change in my life today if you don't listen to me? I still have to take out the trash when I get home, don't I? <laughs> so at the end of the day, this is for you. Nothing changes in my life if you listen to me or not. My leadership is not for me. It's for you. I tell my children that. I tell everyone that, that God has given me responsibility. That way, it's not about me. It's about the God who loves us. Now, simple question. What changes about the character of God if you listen to him? What changes about the character of God if you don't listen to him? His word is for you. Just that simple. Oh, my time is up. I'm so sorry. I'll stick around. I know you got questions. I'll stick around as best as I can. God bless you. Thank you so much for taking time.
Thanks for listening to this session from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. This material is copyrighted and may not be altered or sold. For information, please visit shepherds360.org.